to read from the Word of God this morning, the Bible, and then we're going to have prayer. I'm reading from 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. This is the message that we have heard from him, and we declare to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is the light and we have fellowship with one another, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is good news. That's great news. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Father, we thank you this morning in the name of Jesus for allowing us to come together in this church to allow us to have fellowship, to allow us to hear from the word of God, to be able to sing the praises and worship of God, to hear from you. And in this morning, as we share in communion together, we pray that this is going to be an incredibly uplifting morning, a morning filled with blessing, a morning filled with hope, a morning that in which we sense you reaching out to us because today we reach out to you. And so, Father, we thank you today. We're glad to be in the house of the Lord and we give you our praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of John. In the New Testament, Gospel of John, chapter 1. And I'm going to read only one verse, verse 14. Powerful verse that God gives us here in John chapter 1 and verse 14. Let me just share one other thing, just kind of a, it's actually kind of an announcement, but I want to, I want you to know this. Uh, we, we have started a Bible study for LifeGate on Sunday nights at 6.30. We had, a, we had a good turnout last time and everything. We will not be able to meet this, this Sunday. That's unfortunate. But uh, we tried to get this word out in, in the best way we can, but we will not be able to meet tonight. I, I need to do some traveling for the next couple days. And, and so, um, anyway, we'll pick that up next Sunday on the, uh, let's see, that should be the 10th. And so we'll get back to uh, sort of normal. <laughs> anyway, John chapter, uh, chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's a powerful, powerful verse in the New Testament. When do you think Christmas began? I, got a, I had a friend, acquaintance, that said, uh, well, uh, Christmas really isn't on the 25th, you know, and begin that, that age-old argument. No doubt you'll see uh, articles written on this, and, 
and other things. And that's, uh, I've got to tell you, the best theological word I can explain to that is baloney. <laughs> December 25th is a great date because the Bible simply doesn't tell us when Jesus was born. And it gives us very few clues as to, as to that particular detail. So, you know, I was born on April 2nd. Hallelujah. But if you want to celebrate it on December 3rd, I'm good with that too. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, I showed up. And, uh, and so did you. So I just, uh, I just, but December 25th is a good day, and so we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ on that particular date. I think this is a key verse, the word, and, and just without going into a lot of detail here, the word is referring to Jesus. The word, you can substitute his name. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. Christmas did not actually begin in Bethlehem, but it began nine months earlier. Nine months earlier, when the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, and he became, and, and within her is the divine human person named Jesus. God spent the furnace nine months on this planet as a preborn baby. Understand that. Let that one sink in. Capture it. Think about it today and, and at other times. A preborn baby, fully alive, fully human. At first, you might not think of John chapter 1, verse 14 as a, as a real Christmassy verse, but it really is. It certainly is. Because it becomes the bedrock, it becomes the foundational thing behind shepherds and angels and wise men and Bethlehem and the birth of Christ, the manger, all of these things that we like to connect into Christmas. Incarnation. It's a big word. Simply means Jesus became flesh. That's what it simply means. You can go into greater details, but Jesus is God's word that was made flesh Jesus is God in human form. When Jesus was conceived in Mary, the infinite God took on the form of a tiny human being. Just like any other baby that comes into this world, a tiny human being. The eternal God took on human flesh, and that's miraculous. The Creator the one who spoke and the universes came into existence and all of the other things that we think of with creation, he became flesh to dwell among us. I want us to understand that God did not cease to, I, I mean, I want us to understand that God the Son did not cease when he became human. I want you to look at it this way. He added manhood, but he did not subtract deity. Keep that in mind. This is key. He was fully God, and yet he was fully man. He added humanity to his life. 
the almightiness of God <clears throat> moved in a human arm. The love of God now beats in a human heart. The wisdom of God spoke from human lips. The mercy of God reached out with human hands. And it was because Jesus wrapped himself in flesh and came to the earth. This is what God did. He didn't mail a letter or shout it from the heavens. God did the one thing that you and I could really understand. He became like one of us. We could capture that. We get that. We can understand that so much easier than if God would just send a letter or a telegram or today post it on Facebook. Can you imagine that? How do you think we would have done this? Well, I just told you one. I suppose we would have had a press conference, call the TV stations, hire a press agent, sell tickets, make a big deal. Well, God did make a big deal out of it, but he did it a little bit differently. Instead of flash and splash, God chose a bewildered father and a very young mom. A dirty stable, rags for diapers, and a feeding trough for a bed. He was ignored by the high and mighty and the powerful, but here he was, tiny, helpless, Emmanuel, God with us. And he came with a mission. You know, Charles Wesley, we sang a little bit of it here a few minutes ago. Charles Wesley wrote Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and I believe in the second verse of that song, I, I tell you what, Charles Wesley absolutely nailed it. <clears throat> Probably one of the most theologically correct verses of any song that we could possibly sing. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come. Reason he said late in time because they've been looking for a Messiah for years, for death, no, hundreds of years. And then the Messiah shows up. Offspring of a virgin's womb, that fooled them. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man, as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels, glory to the newborn king. Look again at verse, uh, at chapter 1 and verse 14 again. I like how, how Eugene Peterson puts this. He said, the word became flesh, flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Oh boy, I like that. I like that a lot. For 33 years, God lived in the neighborhood. And the most accurate reading of this thing would be this that the word became flesh and he pitched his tent among us. He showed up in the neighborhood, pitched his tent. That's the very literal meaning. In the Bible days, the only people that lived in tents were shepherds, were sojourners or travelers and soldiers. He became the good shepherd living in a tent. He became a visitor from heaven, living in a tent. He became the captain of our salvation, a soldier, 
who would defeat the devil once and for all. John also uses a new, another term here, not a new term, but another term. It's, he says, we have seen, meaning to gaze upon, to study. We have seen his glory. People could see the glory of God in Jesus. The shepherds saw it. The angels saw it. The wise men saw it and knew it. When Jesus turned the water into wine at the wedding of Cana, this is what the word says in John chapter 2. He thus revealed his glory, and the disciples believed him. The religious people who interviewed Jesus when he was just 12 years old in the temple, remember that? They saw the presence of God in a 12-year-old boy. This text ends with the powerful words of invitation. And it says, it's full of grace and truth. Let me tell you something. Grace and truth are two words that do not very often appear in the Bible together. We err sometimes on one side or the other. And that's our humanity doing that. If we stress grace, we often say, I'm willing to forgive you without demanding repentance. And if we stress truth, then we come across this harsh and unloving, but we need both. Grace and truth are the lessons that Jesus came uh, to this earth. They go to the very heart of the gospel. He's full of grace. That means you can come to him exactly as you are. That, you know, that should be some of the grandest news to any audience. Just as I am, I can come to him. And I believe in a crowd this size, on any given Sunday morning, there's probably somebody here that really, I mean, let's face it, you just blew it this week. You really, you really blew it. And the good news is, you can come, because of his grace, you can come to him, and he's not going to throw you out the door or cast you aside, he's going to offer you an opportunity of forgiveness. Remember the woman that Jesus encountered? Pharisees had the stones in their hand. Oh boy, we're going to stone. They seemed to kind of lick their lips over that one. This gal was caught in adultery. And we're going to teacher, are you serious? You're going to kill her. The Old Testament law says they had the right to do it. But Jesus shows up on the scene and something changes. And he declares to them, if you don't have any sin in your life, go ahead, cast the first stone. At least those guys are bright enough to realize they better not throw that rock. But remember what Jesus said to that woman? He says, I forgive you, don't sin anymore. Stop sinning. That's grace and truth. Stuck together, glued together. I forgive you, don't do this anymore. Truth. And that's how the gospel works in our lives. Because Jesus is truth, you can be confident he'll keep his word. And that is exactly why the word became flesh and pitched his tent to dwell with us. 
We each had a, folks, we had a sin bill that was so astronomically high. There was no way we're going to get out from under that. No way. <clears throat> and it would take the death of Christ on the cross to be able to pay that kind of a bill of sin that we racked up. That's why he came. <clears throat> That's why Jesus showed up. You know, in about 22 days, we're going to be gathering with our family and maybe some friends. We're we'll open the gifts and celebrate. Well, God has a Christmas gift for you. It's not wrapped in paper, bright paper, wonderful ribbons, but it's in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. It's the gift of his only son, Jesus Christ. It's a gift for you, and it's a gift we receive. <coughs> Jesus doesn't come along and say, hey, I force you to take this gift. The gift is placed here. It's like this. Here's the gift. Do you want to receive it? Something I learned about God, God will never stuff things down your throat. If you want it, he's got it. And all I need to do is say, I receive that free gift from God. You can't work for it. You never merited it. But wait a minute, Pastor, I'm a pretty good guy. I, I mean, you know, I, I'm keeping the Ten Commandments. Oh, yeah? How's that going? How many did you break? Because <clears throat> if you say, yeah, I'm keeping the Ten you just broke it. <laughs> Sorry. I believe the only way you can enjoy Christmas is to be able to say to the Father, I receive your free gift of Jesus Christ and his forgiveness. Donnelly, would you come back, please? And... Would you uh, find O Little Town of Bethlehem? If you would, please. You know, one of the astonishing things, I guess, that, <clears throat> that Jonah and I discovered when somebody presented the gospel to us was the fact that I didn't have to work for it. I knew I didn't merit it. I already knew that. I knew I was a sinner. I already knew that. But you know, like with a lot of gifts, you know, we say, hey, I want to give you this gift. And what's the first thing that goes through our mind? Oh my goodness, what do I give them? Well, that isn't the first thing that goes through God's mind. In fact, it isn't in his mind at all. All God wants from you is you. He just wants your heart. You can't come up with something that would pay off God. He's not for sale. You can't come up with something that says, here, I will do this and this and this, and will that satisfy you? Those are all nice things, but you can't buy this gift. And there is absolutely nothing in return except your heart. Give him your heart. Phillips Brooks wrote the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. He wrote it after actually going there, This right after the Civil War. And the third stanza of this, and we're going to sing it, so guys get the third one up back there. <clears throat> how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. 
No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him, the dear Christ enters in. I love it. Phillips Brooks got it exactly right. And we're going to sing it right now. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're just going to sing this one, one verse, and then I'm going to pray. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts human hearts the blessings of his heaven. <clears throat> Hear his coming. But in this world of sin, where meek souls still receive him still, the dear Christ. <clears throat> Let's pray together. Father, I thank you today. I thank you for the free gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. I thank you that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. I thank you for the miraculous of the incarnation of Jesus. God made flesh, and he pitched his tent right in the same neighborhood where we live, right down the road from our house. Father, I pray today for people in Faith Community Church here this morning. I pray that a meek soul would reach out to God and simply say, Jesus, come into my heart and my life. I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I can't buy your salvation. I can't earn it. And I sure don't deserve it. But by your amazing grace, I receive it. I receive your free gift of forgiveness and of everlasting life. I repent of my sin. I'm not just sorry for it but I'm going to turn my life into a brand new direction. I'm going to live for you. And so, Father, today, help me to make Jesus real in my life. I ask him to be my Savior and Lord, to take total control of my life, I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We want to thank you for coming and allowing us to pray with you, praying that God is <clears throat> speaking into your heart, each one of you. Great day. Let's stand, shall we? Father, may the Lord bless and keep each person here today. May the face of God literally shine into our lives, bringing hope, 
assurance, and peace. May the favor of God be upon every person in this room. And as we walk out of church this morning, may we sense your strength and your encouragement in our life. We give again afresh to you our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.